All right, episode 91 here of the Natural Hattrick Podcast, alongside Jamie Eisner here in studio and Craig Morgan in both Trinidad and Tobago. Somehow, I'm Luke Lipinski. Gentlemen, how you doing? All I'm right. exhausted. I don't know about you, Jamie. Uh, I, I'm slightly less exhausted, but I've also stayed in... Well, that's not even true. I haven't been in the same state. So neither of us have been in one state this whole week. None of us have. Because Jamie and I were in Vegas all... Uh, well, not all week, but for a few days there, and... Craig has it been, felt like all week, it, it, as <laughs> Vegas usually does. <laughs> and Craig has been to uh, every state in the continental U.S. in the last 24 hours, if I, if I know correctly. You're in Chicago. Craig is in Chicago. He's there for the draft. We'll do a second podcast uh, after this. It'll be released a little bit later on this week to talk about the NHL draft itself and some of the moves made around the draft by the Coyotes, Chicago Blackhawks, a couple other teams as well. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're just focusing specifically on the expansion draft, and we'll get into some of the awards show fodder and some of the things Jamie and I saw around Vegas that we can talk about. But let's start with the expansion we, draft. We might need to be more specific <laughs> when we're talking about things we might have seen around Las Vegas. The, the hockey atmosphere around T-Mobile Arena and, and Vegas leading up to the expansion draft and award show is what we will get into. That's that, all we, we were at T-Mobile Arena basically the entire time we were there. That's true. Beautiful yeah. arena. All right, so let's look at the it actual... It is. It's an amazing place, though. Isn't it? It's fantastic. Let's look at the actual expansion draft itself here. And, and Craig, let's, let's get to you first here, because I know you're on a, on a tight schedule of uh, paddleboarding and vacationing. Yachting to do. Yeah. Um, the expansion draft itself, is this about how you expected George McPhee and Bill Foley to approach the process? They didn't necessarily take the best player available off each team, but they did focus clearly, and I, I think probably the way you have to do it when you're building a team from scratch, they absolutely focused on acquiring draft picks, and they did. Yeah, and that part I got, I, there were some, some, some parts of their strategy where I felt like they, they should have just acquired the best player available, and I, w- I was a little puzzled by some of their strategy. But I guess overall, you understand what they're thinking with this. They ended up with uh, with twelve picks in the first round this year, and they they also got picks in, in you know next year in the following draft. So again, you, you have to stockpile picks. But I, I want to go build off of what you just said right there because Jamie and I had the same conversation while we were at the actual draft, wondering at at what point is what you're getting from a team like Minnesota or I actually like what they got from Anaheim and being able to draft. Uh, who they did, and then also getting Shea Theodore. I think I think they did pretty well with Anaheim to, to not draft Sammy Votnin. But, you know, there are certain teams that gave Vegas a pick or two picks or whatever to not take players that might be better than anybody they could ever pick where they're now picking. So I, I, I'm i kind of going off what you just said there, Craig, because we hadn't talked to you about it yet, but Jamie and I had the same thought. And, and who was, who came to mind for you, first of all? Uh, Matthew Dumba is right there near the top of the list. Sammy Vatanen yeah. would, would be right at the top of the list. But, again, I, I like what they were able to, to get from Anaheim, at least. I, I like Shea Theodore, and he's one of those guys that is still on an entry-level contract, so he was exempt from being drafted in the first place. But they were able to uh, to get him and Clayton Stoner. Um, you know, that, that's not terrible. But when, you, when you're just getting a second-round pick or whatever to not take a, a decent player, that might be where they went a little too far into that. I just, I, I mean, I, I, I get, you can certainly make that argument. I, I, if Sammy Votnin's out there, I'm taking Sammy Votnin. And, and if, if, if I'm not taking him, I'm, I'm absolutely crushing that team for, 
not allowing me to take him. You know, making them give such a return that it's just like, wow, they got they just killed it on this. Sammy Vatanen's a guy that I'd, I'd build a team around. I think he's that good. So he, he was the guy that jumped out for me. And you mentioned Dumba as well. That's, that's another one. So there were a couple instances where I thought it was a little puzzling what Vegas did. Yeah, and those are the two names. You can have Eric Halla. You can have Alex Tuke. You can have those guys back. You can have Clayton Stoner. Don't care. I want Vatanen and Dumba. But I think for the most part, I'd like – I know Luke talked a little bit about saying, well, you got a second-round pick here in a couple of years. But you also have to kind of look at when are you going to be competitive and maybe getting the best player that you don't think you can re-sign on a one-year deal, which is not going to be a Vatanen or a Dumba, that maybe is going immediately into UFA years. You say, you know what, I'd rather just have a pick down the line and see what happens. Yeah, and Vatanen, what, Vatanen's 26. Uh, he just turned 26. Matthew Dumba is 23. And Dumba's a right-handed defenseman that you can you know, feasibly build around. And I don't know... I guess that's the, the bigger picture to take here. When you look at Vegas's roster, and we'll get to Marc-Andre Fleury in just a second, but, you know, you draft Cody Glass, he had three picks in the top 15. I get all that. Those are the guys you're ultimately building around. But if you had Vatanen or Dumba, or both, you could say, there, that's what we're building our defense around, those two guys. And maybe it, when you look at the entire roster, that's who they're building their entire team around. Do you see anybody currently on the actual roster that they're building their franchise around? Because you can you can have the guys and you can have a couple of the pillars in place without sacrificing the future. Because I don't I don't really right. see anybody. And, David Clarkson. No, I don't either. And that's the point. And that's and I don't know how much of this was just marketing because teams will always say we want to compete, but you kept hearing Foley say we we want to compete quickly here. We want to be in the mix quickly and, and to an extent we knew that wasn't going to be the case anyway even though everybody kept well from the league perspective at least everybody kept touting how much better this expansion draft was how much more competitive vegas is going to be vegas is still going to be one of the worst teams in the league but if you had a, a chance to pick up a couple pillars like that that you could build around you had a chance to be competitive a little sooner but you didn't do that you you didn't take those kinds of pieces so i don't see any reason to believe that Vegas is going to be the worst team in the league last year, and the or other, next year. And the other thing you could do with those pieces, even if you don't keep a Vatanen or a Dumba, if you develop those players, you can move them for better assets than you would have, that you've already got to not take them. And I think uh, we talk about how much, t- how many teams need blue line talent. I think with, you know, Dumba, Vatanen, and Nate Schmidt, that's that's a pretty darn good three guys to start your franchise around when in this scenario. So I was a little surprised that they didn't do that, but Overall, I think that it was kind of went the way we all thought it would go. Any, uh... I like their draft. As much as you can like a draft, and when, you, when you're projecting guys out, you don't know if any of these guys are going to pan out. But I like what they did in the first round, getting two skilled forwards and a puck-moving defenseman. I thought they had a good draft. But, yeah. again, it was just the expansion draft that, that puzzled me a bit. Especially those first four picks. You mentioned the, the three picks in the top 15. Cody Glass is a guy that's drawn Mark Shifley comparisons. Doesn't mean he is Mark Shifley, but that's not a bad guy to start building your team around long term. Uh, Nick Suzuki's a little undersized, but very explosive as a scorer. And he also plays center. So, you know, going back to the old theory, you, you took two centers in the first 13 picks. If one of them pans out and, and reaches their upside, then you've got a center you're building around for the future. Eric Brandstrom was their pick at number 15, so you got a defenseman. And then Nicholas Haig is a guy I know the Coyotes wanted, uh, at least on some level. And, and Vegas got him at pick number 34, a huge defenseman at 6'5". So their first four picks, center, center, defenseman, defenseman. And 
Again, I don't know how much we're going to see any of those guys this year or even into next year, but Vegas has obviously taken the long-term view. Is there any teams, other than, I guess, Minnesota Anaheim, we just threw out there, that you feel like maybe sort of dodged a bullet in the expansion draft or, or, or got to keep a player that you didn't expect them to get to hold on to? Washington, I, I'm a little surprised, still has Philip Grubauer. Yeah, that was that was the one that jumped out at me, too. Yeah, but they got Nate Schmidt out of it. Uh, Vegas did so. I, I yeah. can see in that them not making that transition, especially with Flurry already. I guess maybe Detroit still having Morazic, although apparently they don't think all that highly of him there. I was a little surprised they didn't get him to at least maybe try to flip him to a, a goalie needy team or just hold on to him as at, at, at a young age that he has. But I, I don't. I don't think anybody really, aside from a very very sad David Poyle, I think everybody just kind of <laughs> lived with what happened. He was very sad. Yeah, he was. You could see it on camera if you were watching the awards show. And then the way it's set up is the, the players, or coach, GM, whoever, all the award winners come into a separate media interview room downstairs and everybody just sort of gathers around to have a media scrum. And so when we saw it on the TV, not like David Poyle was shocked that Nashville took or Nashville lost James Neal in the expansion draft. I think they knew when they exposed him there's a good chance they were going to lose him. But he, he looked pretty upset on TV, and then when he came in and talked to the media, he was no less upset. So do we are we in consensus here that Nashville was probably the biggest loser at the expansion draft? Yes, and, and, and the Coyotes are probably the biggest winner. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean Seriously, did, who had Tamu Polkin in, in, in the in the mock expansion draft for the Coyotes? The hockey Nobody. News. No, the hockey news did. I, did I, went, I went back and looked at the hockey news mock draft because I know how much Craig loves mock expansion drafts, and I, so I wanted to see how how wrong the hockey news was. They had three of the players right that are on Vegas, and Tamu Polkinen was one of them. What am I missing? It's the first thing that I the hockey no... so the first thing the hockey news has gotten right about the Coyotes in ten years. <laughs> literally, literally, just a warm body to fill a roster spot last year. Never had any plans to re-sign the guy, and that's who they lost. And with the other, I mean, you look, you look at their their options. Richardson's coming off a horrific leg injury, so do you want to risk that? I, I don't. Kevin Connaughton is he going to is he going to add anything? Well, hopefully, add something for the Coyotes because right now he's the sixth defenseman. The way it's, it's structured. Yeah, but. I mean, when, but when you look at their options at that position, I, I'm not sure. And then Jamie McGinn, do you do you want that contract? Do you want two years? having to pay him, you know, 3.3 or whatever it is per year. I think it's right around that number. That, so you, you kind of understood in a way not doing that, but I don't know. I, I thought maybe they'd, maybe they'd, like, look at acquiring the rights or something. Maybe, maybe they'd talk about doing something with Alex Bermistrov, you know, one of these side deals. I, I didn't know what they were going to do with the Coyotes, but, man, that one sure surprised me. And I can tell you firsthand that it surprised John Chica as well. <laughs> Well, let's talk about who the Coyotes exposed or the path they went down when they had to protect players. They went with four defensemen and four forwards, essentially. So eight skaters. Your two options were were 3D and seven forwards or just eight total skaters. And so they ended up leaving Brad Richardson, who I think is the one that we kind of all, I think from a Coyotes perspective, you're happy you get to retain him. Uh, he's yeah. the one that they ultimately left exposed so that they could keep Luke Shen, who has one year left on his deal, $1.25 million. We agree if he was exposed, Vegas would have taken him over Polkanen, right? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know what they were thinking. Is it possible? That, that's the guy that I thought. Possible Bill Foley thought he was selecting Tamu Solani. 
there any <laughs> anything to that rumor I'm about to start? I just I we didn't we didn't see enough of Polk, and I'm not saying he's a bad player, but. I think the Coyotes got off easy there. Well, I, I think with what they did by keeping Luke Shen is sometimes you're not only playing who, keeping your best players, but who else is, would you assume would be out there and who's the likelihood of them being selected? And with Vegas's strategy of take every defenseman of all time and see if you can flip them, they currently have 12 right now. I don't believe they'll go into the season with 12 defensemen on the active roster. Uh, that there's a better chance that they would lose a defenseman like like Luke Shen maybe to another team. Maybe they flip him like they did with uh, Trevor Ren Reemsdyke. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get that pick. I don't get a few of these. But sometimes you're just taking a warm body. Like Chris Thorburn. Do they really see Chris Thorburn as a, a big part of their future? No, but you had to take somebody. The uh, the other reason the Coyotes were, were – this was a pretty painless process for them is that they had so many players that were exempt that they didn't even have to deal with. And so now it was funny. There was like a week and a half, two weeks there where when you talked about the Coyotes, you never mentioned the, the Max Domies or the Jacob Chikrins or the Christian Dvorak, Brendan Perlinis of the world because they were just – they were never a factor in the expansion draft. Which so confused a lot of people. It I, really I, did. I saw when they released their protected list where <laughs> where's Domi like a thousand times. Yeah. yeah, Domi's in Arizona. He's not going anywhere. That's where he is. It's a uh, – you know, it's, it was a new process for everybody, but now looking at it, like I said, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about the Coyotes trades in, in the next uh, episode of this show, which will be released about a day or so later this week. But just specifically, since Luke Shen is back, Craig, how do you see the, the blue line pairings shaking out for the Coyotes, knowing they also have Nicholas Jalmerson now? Well, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, the top line is uh, top pairing is set. EL is going to play the left side, and, and Jalmerson will play the right side. But beyond that, it's it's unknown. You know, John Chica talked about the possibility of Goligoski moving to the right side, but to be honest, that's, that's a decision for a coach, not a GM, and we'll have to see how those pairings play out. Um, it, had they lost Luke Shen, they, they would have been in a little bit of trouble on the right side because, you know, you, 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 you're, you're deficient now, a, another player at a position where you were already deficient. So he certainly factors into the mix. If Goligoski and Chickering can't play together, if you can't work that pairing, then then maybe Luke Shen is your second-pairing right-handed defenseman. But that's all going to iron out at, once they get a coach on board. It's really hard to say. And, and I, I can't even say for certain that John Chica isn't going to try and make another deal to acquire one more defenseman. Yeah, it seems like maybe that would be and, – and now he's in a position where he doesn't necessarily have to acquire even a top-four defenseman. They, just, they could probably use at least a seventh – NHL, certainly NHL caliber established defenseman to put back there, because at the moment they have Oliver ekman Larson, Nicholas Jalmerson, Alex Goligoski, Jacob Chikrin, Luke Shen, and Kevin Connaughton uh, on the NHL roster. So let's pivot back to Vegas here. Uh, with all the All-Stars and award winners in the building on Wednesday night, Jamie can attest to this as well. Marc-Andre Fleury was was the center of attention pretty much the whole evening. I've never seen Sidney Crosby walk into a room full of reporters and nobody care. It, Craig, you would appreciate this. I was standing. I, the media scrum to get to Flurry was bigger than it was five times bigger than it was to get to McDavid. And when Crosby walked in, I was just at the back of the Flurry line. Like I you couldn't even see Flurry from where I was, and, and Flurry wasn't there yet. But even when he got there, you couldn't see him. And Jamie's right. And Crosby walked in, and like six of us walked over to talk to him. And all the questions, for the most part were about Flurry, which was weird because most of the questions the day before to Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and everybody else, Mike Babcock, they were all about Crosby. And then when Crosby was up there at the podium, everybody just asked him about Flurry. Even he was asking where Flurry was. It's 
Marc-Andre Fleury, whether he intended to or not, stole the show on Wednesday night. It's such a good story, though, right? I mean, the, the, the sacrifice that he made, how, how classy he's been through this entire process, knowing that his time in Pittsburgh's over, his time played for a cup contender is over, but he, he just managed this so well. I, I mean, in a way, you understand it as a reporter. You understand why that's such a great story and why so many people would be pursuing it. Absolutely, and he, he was out there the next day, you know, shaking hands with fans. I know they're, they're doing some sort of, like, ball ho- street hockey thing there this week. So he's, he's Right, fully, I saw Kat Silverman's tweet on that. <laughs> yeah, he's, so he's fully embraced it with a smile. And I think all, the, all four of the Golden Knights that were there were, were very – I mean, you could, they understood the situation they were put in, but they all seemed at least upbeat and excited to be there and know what – they might not have an opportunity to win a cup right away. And some of them might not even be there in, in next season or two seasons down the road anyway, but they appreciated the moment and the kind of they're different opportunity. They're, they're, sports are so regimented. There's so many of the, the same things that you do all the time. This was kind of like a rare break from tradition. It was something. It was a unique sports moment, and I think they all kind of realized it and enjoyed it. I should also point out, too, and we can let – Craig, if you're busy, we can let you go here in a second. But we uh, we went to the team shop at T-Mobile Arena, and it was packed pretty much all day. And all night, it was open like three hours after the uh, the normal closing time for the awards show. And I got to say, Jamie is a trooper because so many people are giving him requests to buy him things there and pick them up. And, Craig, he got you absolutely nothing. So just uh, look forward to that when you come home. I'm, I'm kind of used to that. <laughs> As I try to crawl up from the you bus, got- I was just thrown under. <laughs> I will say we, we did get an office pennant now that's hanging right behind your head there, Luke. That's the Vegas true. Golden Knights. So I guess in a way we're all winners, Craig. You kind of, you got about a third of a Vegas Golden Knights pennant that's on the wall behind us. Hey, if you guys see uh, all of this NHL draft paraphernalia suddenly online available for sale, don't think anything of it because they they weren't gifts for you. Oh, okay, thanks. That's uh, it's kind of rude, but uh, okay. they were going to be, but oh, that that hurts. Not anymore. What, so what did you buy, Craig, Luke? Uh, you know, that's a surprise that uh, Craig okay. can find out when he gets back here in four and a half months. I will uh, give him the <laughs> the uh, Vegas Golden Knights puck-shaped eraser that I bought him for 79 cents at the, the team shop. Did, did you guys actually get to tour that arena? Did you go up and see the suites? No. No, we didn't see the suites. We, we, walked, around at, we walked around after the show was over and kind of saw what it was. And they, they kind of cramped everybody into what probably is a locker room. Where we were, I, it was either I, yeah, it was because there were showers, right? I don't know if Jamie saw this, but if you, all the basically all the hockey media, you know, with the exception of Craig, was was there, crammed into that uh, media room slash uh, locker room. But it, within that room, if you just walk through an opening, it's not even like a shut door. There were just showers, so yeah, it was, it wasn't originally built for an award show, but it, it worked. It was fine. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to hop here in a minute, guys, because I am actually headed out on the lake. But uh, just your thoughts. I was, I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on the awards before uh, I hop off here. I, any surprises I, with the awards or anything like that? I don't think there were many surprises. I think Luke and I talked about this, you know, on the way there. The only surprise, I think, was that Tortorella actually won the award. We thought he would – He thought we thought he deserved to be Coach of the Year, but we thought, you know, it's kind of his – his prickly relationship with some of the media, some of the things that happened in Vancouver, that maybe he wouldn't get the... And Mike Babcock. Yeah, yeah Mike Babcock. And Todd McClellan, both taking yeah. major Canadian teams from the bottom to the 
playoffs at least. Yeah, that was. Uh, so that was our only surprise, but it wasn't because it was undeserved. The, Craig, before we let you go, you have a vote on a lot of these awards. Your success rate was pretty high this year, wasn't it? It was. I, I I don't even remember who I voted for for Lady Bing. Actually, I don't think I voted for Johnny Gaudreau first. He was on my list, but he wasn't first. But beyond that, for the major awards, they had all the winners, including Brent Burns. And I know a lot of people will will balk at that. And, and I'm not I'm not a uh, a guy who's taking anything away from Eric Carlson anymore. And had the playoffs factored in, he probably would have won my vote. But I just thought Brent Burns, you know, from start to mostly finish had a just one of those spectacular seasons nearly getting 30 goals and and he just edged Eric Carlson for me and and I know that's the way it went down in the voting as well but Connor McDavid I think we all saw that coming wasn't a surprise to anyone so I'm feeling pretty good about myself for picking all the winners well, as long as you're feeling good about yourself last thing before we let you go we all agreed Austin Matthews was going to win the Calder and deserved to win the Calder he had just a ridiculous yeah. year uh but are you surprised? 167 first place votes. He got 164 of them. Line got the other three. I mean, Line he got six fourth place votes. Or were you surprised by how much of a landslide that was? Considering Line had one less assist and four less goals, in, I believe he played nine less games. Where does Austin Matthews play? Well, both Toronto and center, and both of those answers helped yeah. him win. Certainly. Okay, and and where does Patrick Line play? Uh, wing and some city that, that Jamie confused with Vegas on last week's episode. So, all right. Yeah, that, that sort of answers it for me. I mean, I, I thought he was a runaway winner anyway. Just I thought the, the fact that he played center and the way he impacts the game was big. But, yeah, beyond that, he's playing in the hockey mecca. So he got a whole lot more attention, and I figured that was going to be a runaway. All right, sir, we'll let you go snorkeling. Uh, thanks for thanks for stepping in and, and giving I'm us some time. I'm not snorkeling. I'm not paddle boating. I'm just enjoying a little time out on the lake. On, on a boat, I would assume, right? Yes, on a boat. Okay, a frozen lake or just a, no? Okay. It's right, summer. <laughs> Tell All right, us about you. it. Take care. All right, Thank so you. that's, that's uh, it's Craig Morgan who will be extensively on, again, I just so we don't, confuse the listeners we just had so much stuff to talk about we're doing two episodes this week and so jamie and i were in vegas so we're gonna get a little deep deeper into the award show and just the whole vegas experience right here but we're well aware that a bunch of stuff went down with the coyotes and there was an nhl draft as well so we are recording that with craig as well and it'll be released what probably about a day after this one yeah so the current plan right now barring any technical hiccups is if you're listening to this podcast it'll be released on a sunday and Sunday, what's today? Sunday. Sunday the 25th. And then the follow-up podcast with all the Coyotes moves, which there were one or two, yeah. so I hear. Yeah, a couple. And the NHL regular, just entry draft, that will be released Monday the 26th. So look out for both. Listen to both, because if you don't, uh, Luke doesn't get to feed himself. Yeah, and if you really, if you're one of those people, and I imagine there's probably one or two, probably only one or two, uh, that only listens to hear Craig Morgan. Like, if you're a president of the Craig Morgan fan club, he's on episode 92 in its entirety. Yeah, so you could stop listening to this one right now because he's not coming back, but he will be on the entire, like, 56 minutes of the next show. And basically those people, one of those two people that only listens when Craig is on is Craig himself. So, Craig, if you're now listening, you can go ahead and stop listening since you just got off the phone. Back to the awards show, Jamie. Uh, Tortorella, like you said, maybe not a surprise that he... He won. We we both agreed that he should win, but that was the only time you you or I kind of raised our eyebrows at the TV screen in the media room that he actually did win. And then when he came in and did his interview, 
That was one of the best off-camera interviews of the entire uh, award show slash expansion draft, was it not? Yeah, it was very good, and he's just he's he's so funny. I, I think there's so many there's so many times where he deserves some of the rep that he gets, but I think there are also times where somebody who doesn't have literally any tolerance for BS just comes off as meaner than they actually are intending to be, and I think that's an issue with a lot of Tortorella's interaction with the media. But in my mind, it was clearly him. Uh, you know, again, McClellan did a, a good job in Edmonton, but again, he had the best player in the world up there leading the way for the most part. And a, a damn good compliment in Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. Uh, Mike Babcock is a good coach, but this was I don't think this was necessarily a product of his – this season was a product of his coaching. Uh, Tortorella had a massive jump. He really got that team together. And more important to me, and this is something that you ended up writing about, the way his players, particularly Nick Foligno, talked about him was eye-opening. It, it really was. Foligno won with the Mark Messier Leadership Award, the King Clancy Award on Tuesday. They were presented a day ahead of time, uh, and, and there, was, there was some great media availability, great access to everybody that was really involved in the award show the day before the awards. And so Foligno was a guy I just I talked to one-on-one -on -one for a little bit about the – you know, the, the charitable and leadership awards that he won, and, and he made a, you know, a point that he, he said even growing up, whether he knew he was going to be in the NHL or not, it was important to him to be that sort of person off the ice or you know, outside of whatever his, his career ended up being. But when I brought up the jump that Columbus made this season, and if you look at the three coaches, uh, McClellan and the Oilers made a 33-point jump. Tortorella and the Blue Jackets made a 32-point jump, and obviously playoffs are not included in the uh, the Jack Adams or any of these awards. They were already voted on before the playoffs started. Com just instantly, Felino said the the main thing that changed everything for the Blue Jackets was the fact that Tortorella was willing to sort of challenge the status quo, is what he said in Columbus, and nobody's ever done that before, and all the players bought in, and. I, I sort of pressed him on it and asked just in terms of, of how how effective it is if you have to have certain players that will buy into Tortorella's style. Because, you know, the, the, the knock on Tortorella, I guess one of, of a few, is that eventually he sort of wears out his welcome somewhere and, and, and he burns out his players. And that was the other thing Felino said, and Tortorella said this later on, that it wasn't just the players buying into what he's preaching. He's changed as a coach, and he listens to his players a lot more now. And that's, that is impressive for, for a coach that has already won the Jack Adams before. He's won the Stanley Cup before. He does come off as a very stubborn individual, and I'm sure he is. But it does seem like now, at this point in his career, he, is, he has realized he needs to adapt to the new style of NHL player, and he's doing it. Yeah, it's, I, I didn't make a cross-sport reference yet on the show, so I'm going to do it now. Okay, good. He very much has that Jim Harbaugh-like mentality. Of, oh. He's a damn good coach that wins, but really wears on his players. So I think that was the interesting thing to me, was the players saying he, how he has adapted. And John Torrell said the same thing when he was up there, about how he learned to adapt to his players. And he says, I have learned so much from the group of players that are in that Columbus locker room. I just hope they've also learned some things from me. Yeah. And according to the players that we've talked to, they have. And I think that's the, this kumbaya relationship. When you have a talented team and a talented coach that are both kind of molding around each other and trying to help alleviate or mask or fix some of the flaws that both sides have, I think you have a very successful formula to win for a long time. And I know that there are people out there that were upset that Mike Babcock didn't win. And I, it's just an award at the end of the day. But uh, 
again, Mike Babcock was. I'm not taking. I'm not trying to take away from what he did, but he was given Austin Matthews this year as his number one center, and Todd McClellan was given a full season of Connor McDavid as his number one center, and John Tortorella had Alex Wenberg, who's fine. But they, aside from the goaltending position, Mike Babcock had more to work with than John Tortorella did. Yeah. On paper. Yeah. And. You know, but you look. Tortorella had the fourth best record in hockey in the toughest division in hockey too. Exactly, and you look going forward here. Is something you also wrote about. I'm just plugging all your stuff oh, for FanRexSports.com. Nice. Columbus kind of dominated the NHL awards this year. This was Columbus's show. Yeah, and you and I were looking at this as I was writing that story up. There's been a couple instances like this in recent years. And look, I mean. There was a year where the Penguins dominated the show and the Blackhawks dominated in a lot of ways last year uh, with Kane winning awards and Panarin winning uh, the Calder. But sort of under-the-radar teams, like like Columbus, I think, is still under the radar, yes. stepping in and having Bobrovsky win the Vezina and be a finalist for the Hart and Zach Wierenski be a finalist for the Calder and John Tortorella win the Jack Adams. I mean, there was Columbus... Foligno's litany of awards that he won the night before, even if they weren't the major ones that were presented prominently on Wednesday night. Yeah, and, and, and he was presented by Mark Messier, who he called Mr. Messier because he had never met him before and was afraid to call him Mark. But for Columbus to just be all over these awards show got me thinking, and because we've, we've been to... I think I've been to the last seven awards yeah, shows. Yeah, you've been to a bunch of them. I've been to this, what, three of four. Yeah. Three of the last four. But looking at it, like, Calgary did this a couple years ago, and Colorado did this. What Calgary in 2015 had Yuri Hudler win, and they had Bob Hartley win. Hudler's still the single greatest at NHL awards interview Absolutely. I've, I've been to. Yes. Uh, he won the Lady Bing that year. Johnny Gaudreau was a, a finalist for the Calder, and Bob Hartley won the Jack Adams. The year before, Nathan McKinnon won the Calder, uh, Ryan O'Reilly won the Lady Bing, and Patrick Waugh won the Jack mm-hmm. Adams. So there was a sort of love fest for Calgary in 2015 and Colorado in 2014, and then they both went completely off the rails. Colorado apparently permanently. Patrick Waugh and Ryan O'Reilly were gone pretty within, what, two years basically. And then with Calgary, Bob Hartley and Yuri Hudler were gone within one year. Now Calgary sort of resurfaced, and, they, and they're still heading in the right direction. And Hudler's a little different. He was just he left because he was a free agent, and yeah. he was you know it's a little bit different scenario. But Calgary bounced back, and Colorado is uh, is 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 there is a team they they're drafted there. Kale McCarr, and that's they're just they're it. just they they're just trying to be one point ahead of Vegas next year. That's what Colorado's doing. They actually got worse in the expansion draft because they, they lost Cal Picard. They, <laughs> did. they didn't want to lose, but there's an if there's a team that could afford to get worse in the off season, I thought it was the Colorado oh, Avalanche. Poor Colorado. But to Columbus. Uh, I don't see them suffering that sort of drop-off. And Calgary, again, Calgary, it's not, I'm not putting Calgary and Colorado in the same boat. Calgary knew they were going to take a step back the following year. It just didn't think it was going to be that big. And yes. they got back to where they were. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe. But Columbus has already done that. Columbus had their hot start and their step back and their resurgence. Columbus has already done that. I think what they're doing and what Calgary is doing, just a little bit different timelines, a little bit different builds but are very similar. I don't think Columbus is going to step back because they already did. They already overcame that issue that they had. And the other thing with Columbus, when, when I was looking at just what they were able to do this season, they had a lot of guys that weren't at the award show, surprisingly, since we just rattled off, what, four or five guys that were there, that really contributed for this team this year. Cam Atkinson had the, what, the 20 or the 35 goals, 62 points. Didn't he get a, he got a Hart Trophy vote too, he, didn't yeah, he? he? He did get a Hart Trophy vote. And he's a guy that, one, didn't need a Hart Trophy vote, but two, <laughs> we've been waiting for this. And I think that's the biggest thing too. If you look at the players that had success for them, like in Atkinson, this isn't out of nowhere. We have been waiting for Atkinson 
acts in the breakthrough. He's always generated a ton of offense, always generated a ton of shots. When was his shooting percentage going to naturally go up? When were those shots going to come from better areas of the ice? I think that that's why when we look at what Columbus is doing, again, Bobrovsky, that's sustainable. He's done this before. It's the second Desna the trophy. He's won more than Carey Price. That's why it's so encouraging, and that's why this is a little bit different than a team like Colorado, who is all just kind of emerging for the first time. And we all know, learned very quickly, Patrick Waugh had no business being coach of the year. Yeah, that, uh, that, was, that was interesting. But or coach of anything. To be, to be fair, Columbus could take a step back from 108 regular season points. I mean, they could drop down to 96 or whatever, make the playoffs, and maybe finally win a series. They've still never won a playoff series. But yeah, Cam Atkinson with 62 points and 35 goals. Alex Wenberg had 59 points. Brandon Saad's not there anymore, but they have Artemi Panarin. So it wasn't I think they'll just... they'll do okay. The, also, they're going to get Kovalchuk, so like, they'll be fine. <laughs> All right, you heard it here first. So, anyway, I guess if you're hinging on one player, it's Bobrovsky. I mean, if he goes out yes. there and gets hurt, although they like Corpusalo too. So, I don't know, Columbus, it was just, it was interesting. I didn't necessarily even think of it until we got there, and I looked around and realized everybody that was there was a, uh, a blue jacket. Was a blue jacket. Uh, this was brought up because Connor McDavid won the heart, which, as Craig said before he left, wasn't a surprise. Uh, he also won the Ted Lindsay which is the, basically the players voting on their own version of the heart. And it was, of course, brought up to Crosby that he has now lost the heart trophy. He's been the runner-up basically three times in the last five years, and he said he's used to coming to Vegas and not leaving yeah. with anything. I mean, he left the Stanley Cup and Carl Hagelin was the there. The Phil Mickelson of basically. hockey awards. <laughs> but uh, he won the Rocket Richard, and McDavid won the Art Ross. And Austin Matthews won the Calder. I mean, there was there was. It's too bad Sidney Crosby's just going to have to gaze into his three Stanley Cups and not see the Rookie of the Year or additional MVP trophies. He, he didn't seem that broken. He did seem broken up that Mark Andre Fleury was leaving the Penguins. Well, and so did Mar- Evgeny Malkin, who a, again is one of the top 100 players of all time, and also is he? Yeah, well, he should be. Oh. Who also posted had an Instagram post where he had uh, Mark Andre Fleury's jersey on backwards and his number 29. I believe it said "My Hero." Yeah, and he just looked sad. And there's some kind of like vigil in the background. I, I, I didn't, I didn't delve too deep, but uh, they're, they're going to miss him, and, and they're going to miss Flurry. But this was kind of inevitable. They've and Crosby admitted they'd pretty much known for six months that that, that day was coming. Yeah, and, and Flurry, we've talked about it on the show, but I mean, he he bailed that team out so many times. Not only did he get them to the third round of the playoffs this year, yeah, they 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 really needed him this year. too. Yes, they did. Uh, but you know, by by him waving that no movement, they get to keep Matt Murray. Uh, by him being available, they didn't lose Brian Dumoulin or Brian Rust. By him being the one that Vegas took, they get a little bit of cap relief that they might be able to spend to keep Nick Benino. I mean, you know, talked about how he was already out there a day after being announced as Vegas's goalie, and he was running a street hockey clinic. Two days before he left, he was helping build a, a playground in Pittsburgh. I mean, that's just the guy Marc-Andre Fleury is, so Vegas got a winner there. Yeah, if the Penguins don't have a job lined up 35 seconds after Marc-Andre Fleury <laughs> retires for him, it's a mistake. That's absolutely true. Brent Burns wins the Norris, and I know Craig mentioned this quickly before he left, too. He said he, he voted for Brent Burns. Yes. Playoffs again don't count. That's the thing. And, and John, no, but but the back, but, but the final month of the season does. That should. And uh, I, I don't know. That was one of the few that I I may have voted differently than than how it actually went down. I just I don't think Burns would have been my pick just because he disappeared the final month of the year. But he had such a phenomenal start to the year. He's an unbelievably nice person. He it's one of those things where he probably wouldn't have gotten my vote. But I'm in no way 
perturbed no, by him winning. No, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a bad vote by any means. Uh, he did mention wildebeests in his acceptance speech, which I think is something we all expected. Yeah, and he had some interesting thoughts too afterward uh, about you know how his offensive game and how the game is changing, about how defensemen need to step up into plays now because everything is so offensively driven, everything is so possession driven, and it's very difficult to generate offense when you're running just your three forwards against five with the other team and, and it makes sense and how he said you know he doesn't try to think about creating offense too much it's just how he plays he said he thinks about you know his kid accidentally sticking a fork into an outlet he doesn't think about jumping up into offensive plays <laughs> that is a quote by the way oh absolutely it is a quote they really should do something the day after where it's just match the player with what he would say in his awards acceptance speech or in the media room in the back because obviously all everything brent burns says is, is a is pretty unique but he won carlson was second Carlson got 63 first place votes, so it's not like everybody just forgot about Eric Carlson. And a guy I know you like a lot, you were happy to see him at least named a finalist. I, it's going to be tough for him to ever win because he doesn't put up the points that guys like Burns and Carlson do, and people still clearly look at that. But Victor Hedman was third. Yeah, Victor Hedman is a premier defenseman in the, in the NHL, and if you if you haven't watched him play or you don't or that's a statement is a shock to you, I think go watch a lot more Tampa Bay games. I think you'll realize that. He does a lot of things subtly well. He does a lot of things just outwardly well. And he's never going to put up Carlson or Burns-type numbers. It's just not his game. He's not even, But he can be competitive in that field. He is not by any means a stay-at-home defenseman or defensive defenseman that you think of and has no offensive ability. Uh, but he just does so many things well. He's someone to kind of keep an eye on. When Tampa Bay and Calgary are playing in the Stanley Cup next year, Victor Hedman will be a major part of it. Uh, a couple other notes on the Norris Shea Weber finished sixth in voting. Of course he did. And P.K. Subban didn't get a single vote, and they vote all the way down to fifth place, so I guess that justifies that trade, right? <sighs> yeah, I mean, P.K. Subban didn't get a vote because he missed a lot of time. Yeah. Jacob Slavin got two fifth-place votes in Carolina. I don't even want to – I won't even address that. All right, that's fair. I wonder where those came from. <laughs> Probably Carolina. Last one, Patrice Bergeron won the Selkie. Just name the award after him already. Shouldn't, they probably should have just given him the 2018 version too, right? Just so we can be more efficient next year. There, there's, there are very few things Patrice Bergeron does poorly. There just are, I mean, almost every aspect of the, he excels at almost every single aspect of the game. It's, uh, it's true. <laughs> and this was a quote-unquote down season for him. Yeah. I remember the night when he won 17 of 17 faceoffs. If I had a vote, that would have pushed me over the top. The other finalists were what Ryan Kessler, who again also very underrated for his defensive skill as well. I thought he did a very good job of keeping McDavid at bay in that second round. Again, that doesn't factor into the voting at all, but something just to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. So and Mika Koivu, who deserved uh, maybe more of a lifetime achievement of playing pretty darn good defense. Miku Koivu, who I will, I will give credit to, that when you walked into T-Mobile Arena, they had a big one of those wraps around like the, yeah. the, the entrance that showcased, I think it was six players, like, hey, the NHL awards are here, and it was Connor McDavid, and it was Sidney Crosby, and it was Austin Matthews, and it was Miku Koivu, which, you know, that's, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> it's certainly deserving to be there, though, and, and like you said, sort of a lifetime achievement award. Craig Anderson... Had a really emotional speech. Obviously, he won the Masterton. As he should have. He was great in the media room afterwards as well. Uh, it was. I thought it was done really well. I know that it was a. The actual writing of the jokes certainly comes under scrutiny for the award show, but I, I liked it with the expansion draft mixed in. That was that was a nice little wrinkle that we're not going to have again. See, it's interesting because for 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 us that are downstairs, 
we get to see essentially the first 15 to 20 minutes of the show. And then at that point, we're in, in the backstage. Because they, they pull them off stage and almost immediately bring them in to, to talk to the media. So everybody's not there till 12, 1 in the morning. Although yeah. that's, you know, might as well be the middle of the day in Las Vegas. That's true. So we don't get to see a lot of the show itself. But, you know, again, it was, it was what it was. And I think everybody... I think they did a very good job of realizing that people were there for the expansion draft yeah. a lot more than they were there for the award show, and they made sure to kind of use the draft to kind of keep people's attention throughout. Yeah, I think the award show is it's a lot of fun when you're there, and I don't know that they officially sold out T-Mobile Arena. Typically, the award show is you know it's at the Win or it's at the MGM or something, one of those giant theaters within a casino, and it is remarkable. You see T-Mobile Arena, it's huge. But it's right behind the New York, New York casino, and I always get confused. I think that's the Mirage right there, the Monte Carlo right next to it. Yeah. It's, it's a full-size arena. It's huge, and yet it looks tiny compared to the buildings around it because it's in Vegas and everything's just weird in Vegas. But typically those theaters are not meant to seat 17, 18, 19,000 people. This was at an arena. The whole ice area was basically full of seats as well, and it was pretty close to capacity. So I know a lot of that was for the expansion draft, but... I guess that's a roundabout way of saying the award show is more fun in person because it's just such an experience, and it's, it's sort of crazy to see the, the best players in the world all gathered in one spot. But on TV, I, I think you're 100% right. The expansion draft translated a thousand times better. It, it's just far more interesting. That's it, far more interesting than anything else they could have presented. Any draft is going to capture people's attention at this point. Like if they just had all the award winners do an expansion, like a fantasy football expansion draft next year, people would pay attention to that. People like drafts. Your uh, thoughts just on the, the whole Vegas atmosphere surrounding that new team? I thought it was very interesting, and, and I think we learned maybe more in the team shop than we did maybe in the arena, because once you got into the arena, it was a lot of fans from other, other parts of the country. It was fans from Canada. It was media, you know, and then we're, we're kind of working. But as I said before, I, I think this is going to be a very successful venture because they have a couple foundation pillars or foundations in place that will help them be successful. One, they have a bought and paid for arena. And as anybody who's listening in Phoenix right now knows how important a bought and paid for arena is. Yeah. And two, there's a lot of corporate money in Vegas. Those Having those two things will give them every opportunity in the world to succeed. And we will see how the, the locals in that area respond to the team in time. We'll also see how they'll respond once they become more competitive. You're going to get, especially early next season, you're going to get a lot of uh, intrigue. Oh, oh, you know, oh, there's a hockey game tonight. Oh, there's, this is weird. There's hockey, professional hockey in Las Vegas. Let's go watch it. Then at some point, that's going to dip a little bit because it's inevitable, and they're not going to be a good team. They're not going to be in playoff contention. But then it's going to see, okay, what comes back as they start to get better? Because at some point early in the season, they're going to be – a lot of nights where they're outnumbered by opposing fans. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that early on. It's actually to be expected early on. And also, as I've made the point out here in Arizona, their money counts the same as the local money. Yeah, and I think you know in Vegas that you're going to be a tourist destination. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put the arena right on the street. Exactly. And again, I, I, I've never lived in the city of Las Vegas, but I know from a few people that have that going to the strip is just not something people that live there do very often because it's a pain. And as you could imagine, if anybody's ever been within a mile of Las Vegas Boulevard knows, you don't want to be within a mile of Las Vegas Boulevard. No. So we'll see how this develops over time. But I I think it's going to be very successful. I like the energy in town. I like the other casinos that weren't 
right directly next to them, also promoting the event. I like how there's just a little bit of touch of it everywhere. And I think it's going to be exciting. I think p- people are going to latch on to it, especially in the summer when it's a million degrees outside. And no, is it going to be Toronto or Montreal or New York or Chicago? No, it's not going to be. But you know what? It doesn't have to be. Not every city can be like that. It's, but I think it will be very, very successful. Well, it's just it's very unique. Just the city itself is unlike a, any other city in, in the U.S. or Canada. So it's, it's going to be an experiment. They are in a great spot in that they have every sports fan in that city's imagination to themselves for the first, what, is it two years before the Raiders move there? Yeah, it's approximately. It's about okay. 2020, but we'll see what the timeline turns out okay. to be. Also, every goal is going to be fun because everybody's going to bet the over on the five or five and a half every <laughs> night walking into the stadium. And you know what? I know the NHL can't, pretend, can't say that they embrace it. They should embrace it because it brings interest. Ask the NFL. And, and I will also say, yes, it's on the strip, but it is – if you're driving there and you don't want to go on the strip, it's it's right off the freeway. Yeah, it's right off the freeway. There, you don't you don't actually have to be you on have Las to Vegas Boulevard. Yeah, thank God to come to that arena. Yeah, they they I think they put it in a pretty good spot. I mean, like you, I've never lived in Vegas, but I, it's it's between the freeway. There's that tiny area between the freeway and the actual strip, and that's where they put the arena. It's a very nice arena. Uh, it was, you know, there was probably a lot of people there that were just curious, like you said, like, hey, what's going on over at this arena? But who cares? That's what you want. You want to capture those fans. There are hockey fans in Vegas. There are hockey fans that are going to be visiting Vegas. The Maple Leafs play in Vegas on New Year's Eve. I'm sure that's not a random coincidence on the schedule. So they're certainly, like you said, going to do well attendance-wise early on. And then at a certain point, hopefully they will have built a a more competitive team. They did the red carpet outside, or the magenta carpet outside the arena. Get get the brand, the hashtag branding right. Magenta carpet, sponsored by T-Mobile. It was 116 degrees, and people were lined up to see it? Again, terrible decision to do it outside, but, like, you know. What what are you going to do? They're in a weird spot because they couldn't really do it at the wind like they've done before because you can't, that transition you go from the wind back down to where T-Mobile Arena is would take hours. Opposite ends of the the uh, strip. And yeah. The only negative is now you have to pay to park on the south end of the strip. Yeah, but I don't think that has anything to do with hockey, and I, I think it's not sure just it the help. south end. It, well, it's not the wind. You don't have to pay at the wind, the, as we the, found out. The wind, as far as I know, is the only casino you don't have to pay so to So if park. you can afford to stay at the wind or the encore, yeah. at least you get free parking. You, you do. You get free parking, and that's nice. Also, I should point out, Saw a lot of jerseys wandering around the uh, the strip, up to and including a Robbie Fabry jersey shirt, which was yeah. kind of the highlight of the entire trip. Yeah, a uh, Robbie Fabry. I mean, we, did we see a Doug Gilmore jersey? We but did. at least like, I thought when I get Robbie Fabry jersey, I mean, that, that's an interesting investment to make. I may or may not have taken a picture of the guy with the full mullet wearing the Jordan Eberle jersey on the way to the awards show. He was going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Little did he know. That's 24 hours later, he would be having to go out and buy a Ryan Strom jersey and possibly shave the mullet. So, you know, do, they, do they even bother selling those? You can customize anything, Jamie. That's, that's probably your best bet. So, anyway, that's going to do it for us. Like I said, we'll have another episode. This was episode 91. Episode 92 is going to be out within a day or so, and that's going to go into all the draft day maneuvering by not just the Coyotes, by the Blackhawks, uh, by Calgary, by St. Louis, certainly trades movements, uh, the Coyotes' coaching situation, all sorts of stuff. The Coyotes made themselves the center of attention for the last week and a half. And, of course, free agency is coming up, so we're going to do another show uh, in a week talking about all the free agency moves. So for Craig Morgan, wherever he is. Yeah, for wherever he is, afloat. Yes. I just picture him wearing those little pool floaties in the lake. Yeah, like he's got like the, the, like the yellow 
arm pool floaties. Yeah. He's got just his nose with sunscreen on it. Oh, uh, absolutely. He's that guy that just sunscreens his nose and doesn't, like, he, it's right there so you can see it. And it's like s- sipping, a, like, a pina colada on one of those, like, scrunchy straws that you can, like, make at a right angle. <laughs> just enjoying life. And his, his phone, his cell phone's floating in one of those, like, a, an additional pool floaty that's floating next to him in case somebody calls with breaking news about the coyotes because, you know, when he leaves, it's just constant breaking news at all times. And this reinforced that. He's been gone for a week. And look at all the changes that have happened here in town. So for Craig Morgan, for Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.